Episode 10. Trouble Church Brown. Part 1. Robert Brown is a prominent figure in the Elizabethan Church and is renowned for establishing the concept of separatism. This movement would have a profound impact on both Europe and America. English and American Congregationalists consider Brown to be the pioneer of their beliefs concerning church governance. Throughout his life, Robert Brown has been described using a wide range of terms, both positive and negative. This episode explores the significance of Brown in the Elizabethan era. Some argue that he possessed one of the sharpest intellects of his time, while others contend that his unpredictable behavior and inconsistency can only be explained by his mental instability. He is considered a pioneer in religious liberty, but even his supporters distanced themselves, with early followers Barrow and Greenwood leading the way. The Brownists, strictly speaking, were disciples of Robert Brown. However the label, Brownist, was often applied to the various separatist religious factions that vehemently denounced corruption in the Church of England. The term Brownists was a common designation for early separatists before 1620. They are mentioned in Shakespeare's play, Twelfth Night, which was written and performed for Queen Elizabeth, Sir Andrew declaring that he would not want to be identified as either Brownist or politician. Robert Brown was born at the family manor of Tolerthorpe, two miles from Stamford, Lincolnshire, in about 1550. He came from a family of wealthy merchants that could be traced back to Stamford in the 14th century, and was the third of seven children of parents Anthony Brown and wife Dorothy, the daughter of Sir Philip Boatler. In 1570, aged about 20, Robert Brown enrolled in Cambridge, achieving his BA at Corpus Christi College in 1572. Early theological sympathies may have drawn him to Corpus, as the celebrated Puritan leader Thomas Aldrich had been appointed master of the college in 1569. At this time, two men, destined to play an important part in his life were also attending Cambridge. The first was Thomas Cartwright, whose lectures he attended. In 1569, Cartwright was chosen to serve as the Lady Margaret's Professor of Divinity. His remarkable intellect and skill in debate drew a significant number of students to his lectures. However his tenure came to an end in 1571 when he was relieved of the position. Brown may have started to feel hostility towards Cartwright and his doctrines about this time. Robert Harrison, the second man, eventually became his co-pastor in Norwich and Middleburgh. He transitioned from St. John's to Corpus Christi and was acquainted with Brown during their time as fellow students. Following his graduation, Brown's decision not to pursue ordination implies that his beliefs may have already become more extreme, and after a period of teaching he returned to the Cambridge region in 1578. Following the completion of his university education in about 1573, Brown would spend three years teaching children but it is uncertain where he taught. Although it has been speculated family connections might have played a role in him securing the position of schoolmaster in Oundle, which was located a mere 20 miles south of his family's estate. Oundle is a market town and civil parish on the left bank of the River Neen in North Northamptonshire. 
It is 69 miles north of London and 12 miles southwest of Peterborough. There has been a grammar school in Oundle since at least 1465, where Sir William Laxton, a Lord Mayor of London was educated. In his will of 1556, he left a legacy to found Laxton Grammar School, now known as Oundle School, currently administered by the Worshipful Company of Grocers. This Worshipful Company was established in 1345 for merchants in the grocery trade, and is one of the great 12 London City livery companies. Initially founded by members of the Guild of Pepperers in the 14th century, the company was responsible for maintaining spice purity standards and setting certain weights and measures. The Guild was initially known as the Company of Crossers and was later renamed the Company of Grocers of London. The company was granted a royal charter by King Henry VI of England in 1428, two years after building its first hall in Old Jewry Street. Eventually, Brown was discharged from his school post, after which he continued to teach privately. Brown became a lecturer at St. Mary's Church Islington, where his dissident preaching, against the doctrines and disciplines of the Church of England began to attract attention. It was reported that he would sometimes deliver sermons in the area's gravel pits. The brickworks and gravel pits, in places around Islington Kensington and Hackney, kept large numbers of casual workers employed. They were ideal places to preach to receptive and often captive audiences. Brown had always been devoted to the Church of God, and now he decided, he must find a way to serve it. In 1578, he took his first step towards his goal by leaving his peaceful life in Tolethorpe and returning to Cambridge. Upon arriving in Cambridge, he became a member of the household of Richard Greenham, a Puritan clergyman, at Dry Drayton. In the Domesday Book, the village was listed as Drayton. However to differentiate it from Fen Drayton, which lay five miles to the northwest, it was known as Dry Drayton as it was susceptible to drought during low rainfall periods. Although Reverend Greenham remained loyal to the Church of England, he strongly believed in simplicity in both dress and worship. When he first came to Dry Drayton, the young Brown began to explain scripture passages often reading aloud at Greenham's manse or parish house after meals. Without getting permission from his bishop, Greenham allowed him to teach openly in his parish. With the consent of the mayor and vice-chancellor of the university, Brown took charge of St. Bennet's Church in Cambridge for six months, where his gifts became evident. St. Bennet's is a Church of England parish church in central Cambridge. Parts of the church, most notably the tower, are Anglo-Saxon and it is the oldest church in Cambridgeshire and the oldest building in Cambridge. The church is dedicated to St. Benedict of Nursia, the founder of the Benedictine Order of Monasticism. It's believed that the name is an attempt to reconcile the Anglo-Norman name Benet with the Latin form of the saint's name Benedict. Although it seemed logical for such a passionate and talented preacher to pursue the bishop's license, he decided not to seek his authorization. Instead, in 1579, he did the opposite, by openly preaching in Cambridge, against the appointment and authorization of preachers by bishops. Further declaring, that by imposing ministers on the people, the bishops had gone beyond Christ's intentions, Christ did not permit his apostles to take authority over anyone who did not willingly accept them. He saw that the voice of the church, that is, the voice of the whole people, was the voice of God, so that next under Christ was not the bishop, not even an apostle, but the church. 
Brown was now on the high road to congregationalism. He came to an understanding that the Lord was merely testing him, preparing him for a further and more effectual message. However, the labors, mental conflicts, and spiritual agitations over the past six months had taken their toll on him. In 1580, while traveling around Cambridgeshire, Robert Brown became ill, possibly contracting plague. Aged 30, and having nowhere else to go, he returned to his father's home in Tolerthorpe, Rutland, hoping to recuperate. The church council now took their opportunity and prohibited him from preaching. After regaining his health, Robert Brown had an epiphany, realizing that the Puritans' endeavors to bring about change had fallen short of what was truly essential. Brown deemed the entire ecclesiastical structure unacceptable to God, as it was not in accordance with Scripture, concluding that separation was imperative in order to attain salvation. He had come to a pivotal moment in his career, at the same time constantly searching for others who might share his beliefs. Based on his writings, Brown put forward three principles, 1. The church is a community of individuals dedicated to God, with Christ as their leader. They possess the authority in matters of governance, discipline, and organization. 2. These churches should provide support to other sister churches and seek guidance from them. 3. The church and state are separate entities. As a result, political leaders do not have the right to interfere in spiritual matters. The city of Norwich played a crucial role in the emergence of Congregationalism, and it was during his visit to this ancient city, that Brown would experience a defining moment in his career. The responsibility of overseeing the Dutch congregation in London was given to the Bishop of London. However, there were concerns about the significant number of Anabaptists within its congregation, and so proposals were made, with the view to encourage their relocation to Norwich. In Norwich, the Dutch community was only permitted to worship at the Blackfriars Hall, which is still known today as the Dutch Church. During the year 1587, the Dutch and Walloons, totaling over 4,600 individuals, constituted the majority of its population. Seeking paid employment, in 1580, Robert Harrison was appointed master of the Old Men's Hospital St. Giles, Norwich. Upon hearing of Harrison's appointment, Brown visited his friend, taking lodging and boarding with him and his wife. Harrison had previously made the trip to Cambridge, looking to obtain his preaching license from the bishop. However, his plans took a different direction when Robert Brown convinced him that the authority of the bishop was meaningless and corrupt. At this juncture, Brown had fully embraced separatism and firmly denounced the Church of England for being contrary to scripture. He saw no value in the Puritan belief of trying to promote their ideas for reform from within the established church. Brown managed to convince Harrison to join him in his mission, and from then on, they dedicated all their efforts to spreading their message through preaching. At the same time, gathering a group of devoted followers in Norwich. Despite their limited knowledge and the prevailing intolerance of their era, this small group of Christ's followers clearly understood one thing. God's intentions did not align with the compromised and constrained Church of England. By this time, Brown, aged about 30, had married Alice Alden, who was thought to be one of his original Norwich congregations. While in Norwich, Brown and Harrison attempted to establish a congregational church, potentially drawing influence from local Dutch woolworkers who held Anabaptist beliefs. 
the church chose Brown and Harrison as its leaders, Brown serving as the pastor and Harrison as the teacher. And so, in 1581, they established the first congregational church in England, near the cathedral and the bishop's palace. Faced with the imminent threat of persecution and exile, the congregation embraced this opportunity, seeing it as a new beginning. Examining the establishment of this church is fascinating, Brown devoting considerable thought to the principles of congregationalism. The church created a covenant, presenting the congregation with substantiating proof from the scriptures. They committed to each and every point, declaring, we give our consent to this. The core principles of the covenant revolved around devotion to the Lord, and the appointment of trusted individuals to lead their spiritual paths, together with a vow of obedience. They established guidelines to uphold unity and address individuals considered unfit, with a dedicated commitment to privately and publicly admonish and offer guidance for one another. The problem of church discipline presented a considerable challenge to them, as it would continue to do so for countless others in times to come. In his teachings, Robert Brown emphasizes the importance of specific officers within this particular church. These officers include the pastor, the teacher, the elders, the deacons, and the widows. Brown's vision of congregationalism goes beyond the individual church. He envisions a collaboration of churches, united for shared purposes. In his publication, The True and Concise Declaration, Brown argues that the merging and participation of multiple churches, along with the authority held by many, is more significant and substantial than the authority of any individual. Synods, or the gatherings of diverse churches, occur when the weaker seek assistance from the stronger, in addressing and resolving matters. They may also occur when the stronger seek the assistance of the weaker for the same purpose. Brown describes a synod as a gathering, where representatives from various churches come together, to discuss and find solutions for issues that cannot be effectively dealt with, through other means. Brown was the first seceder from the Church of England and the first to found his church on congregational principles. He always drove himself to explore beyond the limitations of conventional religion, growing increasingly fascinated by the various religious sects of the Radical Reformation and their doctrines. Brown's time in Norwich allowed him to have more and more interactions with the Dutch Anabaptists, and their teachings would profoundly impact his belief in the importance of a true church ethic. Over time, this belief came to be known as Congregationalism. Congregational churches, or Congregationalism, are Protestant churches in the Calvinist tradition that practice Congregationalist church governance. Each congregation has the freedom and autonomy to manage its affairs. Congregationalists see themselves in the mainstream tradition of the Christian churches, characterized by their commitment to fulfilling the Great Commission, Matthew 28 verse 19 to go into the world and preach the gospel. The primary principle of congregationalism revolves around the concept of the gathered church. Jesus declared in Matthew 18 verse 20, where two or three meet in my name, I am there, in their midst. Jesus desired his followers to come together and create communities rooted in Christian values, fostering a sense of unity and fellowship. While Catholic recusants persisted in worshipping in secret, the Puritans took on the courageous mission of publicly organizing themselves and purifying the church. Their goal was to eliminate any remaining Catholic influences. 
The distinctiveness of the Puritans did not stem from their adherence to Calvinism, but rather from their proactive efforts to transform the Church of England into a reflection of the continental model. They had advocates like Walsingham, who provided them with protection. However, no one advocated for change more fervently than Brown. It was clear that Brown was one of the few Elizabethans who opposed royal supremacy and disregarded the authority of the bishops. In Norwich, Brown collaborated with Cambridge graduate Robert Harrison. And it was together that they formulated the revolutionary concept of separatism. Later, so wide was Brown's influence that the early Congregationalists or dissenters were often referred to as Brownists. They came together to develop the groundbreaking concept of separatism. Subsequently, Brown's ideas and influence were so extensive that the early Congregationalists or dissenters were frequently known as Brownists. In Brown's wider community, some troublemakers went to the extreme, comparing Queen Elizabeth to the Whore of Babylon and committing acts of vandalism in a Suffolk church, causing widespread concern and anxiety across two counties. The concept of Babylon the Great, also known as the Whore of Babylon, represents a symbolic portrayal of a woman and a malevolent place, as mentioned in the Book of Revelation. Unaware of the chaos looming on the horizon, Brown continued to deliver separatist sermons in the Bury St. Edmund area, and in April 1581, he found himself in a precarious situation. The clergy in Norwich expressed their concerns to the bishop regarding Brown's unauthorized preaching and its impact on their congregations. This occurring at a time when Archbishop Whitgift of Canterbury was publicly urging them to moderate their visible Puritan beliefs. The clergy feared that if they adopted a less reformed stance, their congregation members would leave and join other, more passionate Puritan churches. They wrote to the bishop, stating, We are struggling to prevent our church members from embracing Brownism. We read of some ministers who have their own perspectives and are opposed to being categorized in this manner, asserting they follow the teachings of the Bible and not those of Brown. The godly preacher's complaints prompted the intervention of Bishop Freak of Norwich, who exerted his oppressive influence, resulting in Brown's sudden arrest and subsequent imprisonment. The offence was preaching without a license, a bold act that questioned the existing conventions. This marked the beginning of his 32 imprisonments. The Bishop of Norwich voiced his dissatisfaction to Lord Burley, alleging that Brown had already succeeded in captivating the general public, who were assembling in significant crowds to listen to him speak. During that time, prison was a place of immense suffering and terror where the unfortunate inmate had to coexist with the most depraved criminals and the lowest members of society. They were often left to perish in dark dungeon cells, so black, that prisoners couldn't even see their own hands. Thanks to the powerful financial influence of the Lilford family and William Cecil's formidable political connection, Brown was released from prison after a brief stay. He at once returned to Bury St. Edmund, preached again, and was arrested again. This time, the authorities incarcerated him in London. Bishop Whitgift enthusiastically backed and encouraged the authorities to swiftly carry out effective measures against the Brown congregation and their supporters. As a result, in 1581, more than 30 individuals from Norfolk, Bury, and London were imprisoned. According to Harrison's account, he was among those who experienced imprisonment. After thoughtful deliberation, 
this small company in Norwich, now led by their teacher Robert Harrison, began to contemplate an escape to Scotland, Jersey, or Guernsey. From his prison cell, Brown sent them a heartfelt letter, passionately urging them to reconsider and imploring them to only venture forth, once all other options had been exhausted. However, as some members found themselves imprisoned, and others facing intense persecution, they became convinced, that leaving England was God's calling for them.